Our Old Testament reading is taken from Exodus 32, verses 7 to 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them, and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it, and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord as God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. The Gospel reading for today is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for meeting us here this morning. We hope you feel met that you've uh, sensed how much we love you. I know you've also sensed how weary we are, discouraged even, how much we need your help. Would you speak your word to us, encouraging us and challenging us at the same time? Amen. So allow me to catch us up with how we got here. Uh, Moses was up on the mountain with God, receiving instructions as to how to build this tent or tabernacle that was to be the way that God would visibly and physically travel with the people into the promised land. And uh, you know, Moses has been on the mountain for a while, like 40 days, and the people are getting antsy, and they go to Aaron, the priest. I mean, the priest is supposed to know how to do God stuff, right? He goes to the priest, goes to Aaron, they, and they say, make us gods. 
make us gods that will go before us. And instead of saying, what are you talking about? We just made this covenant with God. We just made this vow. He says, well, give me your jewelry. Melts it down, forms this gold calf. He looks at it, kind of proud of himself, remembers what Moses did. He says, okay, uh, next thing is we'll build an altar. And when that's done, he thinks, you know, it'd be great to have a festival. And so he declares the next day to be a festival to the Lord, to Yahweh. Now he's being brought into this. Yesterday or last Sunday, we talked about how, like in our current society, it's so easy to kind of mix and match gods and spiritualities and spiritual practices. And so at that point, they, they engage in this festival. They engage in what the Bible calls revelry. And most Jew, Jewish scholars suggest that there was, there was an immoral component to all of this. And you know, the golden calf or the calf god was a god of fertility. Well, God sees what's happening. And uh, he, he says to Moses, this is what he says. He says, uh, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. And then I will make you into a great nation. Yikes. And I have to you know, kind of chuckle a little bit. Moses hasn't even said anything yet. God says, leave me alone. Leave me alone. <laughs> and of course, he could have just destroyed the people. But uh, Moses and God, they've come a long ways in their relationship. When God first encountered Moses, he said that burning bush, and he started to talk with Moses about leading the people out of Israel. And Moses just kept on coming up with excuses. Five times he came up with excuses. And, and that was the first time God, God got angry in the entire Bible to this point. And finally, you know, Moses said, you know, I, I just can't talk. I'd never be able to talk to, to Pharaoh. I'd never be able to confront Pharaoh. And God says, fine, your, your brother Aaron is on the way right now. He can speak in your behalf. But when Moses is actually in the presence of Pharaoh, he speaks up. This is possibly the most powerful person in the world. And now he's speaking up to God. And God doesn't take offense. God's listening. And, and here's Moses trying to talk God down. Of course, that raises the question, did God really need to be talked down? Would he, be, would he have actually destroyed the people if Moses had said, yeah, go ahead, fine? I doubt it. I think he was bringing Moses into his feeling, thinking process. He was truly bringing Moses into his life as a partner. And we know there would be many, many, many times in the future where the people of Israel would do this, and much worse, where God wouldn't destroy the people. So it's like he's wanting to be convinced. He's wanting to draw Moses into this. And we get a glimpse as to what a relationship with God can really be like. How God really wants partners. And of course, the whole thing of, of making images to God is that we're the image of God. We don't, we don't simply diminish God. We diminish ourselves when we do that. We're living images. And if we go back to the beginning of a creation story, when we're told that we're made in the image of God, it's so that we can rule and reign over creation. We can partner with God in ruling over the world. Now, things haven't gone very well so far 
there's been several false starts. But now he's rescued this people out of slavery. And God is hoping that they will be so full of gratitude that they'll rise to the occasion and submit to their training, training to lead, training to reign, to model for the rest of the world what it means to partner with God. And things go off the rails almost immediately. The first vow they had made was not to worship other gods. The second vow was not to make a graven image. Well, this morning I want to talk a bit about leadership. About, first of all, the fact that we all are leaders. You and I make hundreds of decisions, if not thousands, every day because we're made in the image of God and we can do that. Most of them are pretty small, but they impact our well-being. And by the way, when I'm doing good, my wife seems to do good too. At least she does better than when I'm not doing well. We, we say things, we even think things, and certainly we do things that impact the physical environment around us as well as the people around us. And whether we think of it as that or not, we are leading. And, and you know, just to encourage us not to be put off by that term to reign or to lead. We're talking about leading in a biblical way. Last week we talked about um, a healthy sort of fear of the Lord and a, and a toxic fear of the Lord. A healthy fear of the Lord respects God, admires God, and, and is in awe of God. At the beginning of that, of that uh, prayer of confession, um, um, we, we just tried to spend some time admiring who God is, lifting up his qualities, lifting up and praising his character. That's a healthy fear of the Lord. The unhealthy fear of the Lord is always being afraid of getting it wrong. You, you, you want to do the right thing, but did I, did I do it wrong? That's a really toxic fear of the Lord. And likewise, in terms of ruling, what we're accustomed to associating with leading and ruling is what Jesus called lording it over people. Imposing your will on others. He presented an alternative. He says, in the kingdom of God, leading is serving. In fact, if you want to be a great leader in the kingdom of God, you need to see yourself as the servant of all. And so leadership is sacrificing for others, like Jesus did and still does. Leadership is, is being willing to give up your own comfort in order to serve the common good. So let's, let's keep in mind that understanding of leadership, shall we? We've got some great servants in this church. And when you're serving, you're leading. So let's, let's learn, um, see what more we can learn about leadership. We're all leaders. And, and also about our relationship with God while we're partnering with God in reigning and ruling. First of all, character matters. Um, General uh, Norman Schwarzkopf, um, commander of the coalition forces in the Gulf War in 1991, once said, leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you want to be without one of those, be without strategy. And that's pretty significant for someone who is responsible for winning and losing battles and uh, saving lives and losing lives. To suggest that character is more important than strategy. 
And Jesus would seem to agree. Oh, some of the things he gave to his disciples suggested certain strategies, pretty specific for that time and situation. But when he invited people to be yoked to him, first of all, just want to note that he's just said that all authority has been given to him. And now he invites people to be yoked to him, which fits that biblical paradigm of partnering with God in reigning and ruling. So he's going to teach us. He's going to teach us how to reign. And he's going to teach us by our being yoked so that we can imitate him and follow him in his example. And at the same time, we know that most of what Jesus taught had to do with character with who we are and certainly morality is a part of character um, and it's clear that something immoral went on in that revelry around the worship of that gold calf but character is about so much more than morality we see this with David King David for example he had a terrible moral lapse in his life and yet in other ways he was a person of character and so Paul says as God's chosen ones and that's how God's people are referred to as, as his chosen ones as God's chosen ones clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience those are qualities of character he also says in his letter to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all qualities of character. Remind us of the character of Jesus and of God. But in that list, you know, the one that we quite often will just sort of slide over is faithfulness. And biblically speaking, this is at the heart of it, sort of the foundation for character. It's being loyal. It's being faithful. And in the scriptures, there's this pattern of testing. It goes all the way back to the Garden of, of Eden. And I think all of us have wondered at times, so why did God put that, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And, and you know, if they weren't able to, to eat from it, and they would get us all into trouble if they did, why did God put it there? As with all the testing we see in the Bible, it was a test of their loyalty, a test of their faithfulness. Speaking of a general, speaking of the military, if you can't trust that your fellow soldiers are going to be faithful they're going to stick with the battle they're going to be faithful to you then then the whole enterprise crumbles right it cannot be successful character matters even before strategy and so the people of israel are tested moses is upon the mountain it's been a while they haven't heard from him they haven't seen him maybe something has happened to him maybe he got burned up by god's glory who knows this was their test to stay faithful faithful to the covenant Moses is also given a test will he stay faithful to God and Moses does he reminds God of God's own promises to Abraham Isaac and Jacob he he says God you know if, if, if you rescue the people and now you've drawn them into the desert and up destroying them what are the nations going to say he's not concerned about his own name god promises i'll make a name for you i'll build a whole nation around you he's concerned about god's name he's faithful to god's glory 
And he's also faithful to the people. And you'll notice that loyalty is not just being loyal to people when they're at their best. It's being faithful to people when they're at their worst. And at this moment, the people are at their worst. So loyalty, faithfulness, not a very sexy word, but it's so fundamental to a person of character, so fundamental to this whole enterprise of what God wants to do in the world. And maybe we want to ask ourselves right now, this pandemic has been tough. And I know that in addition to this pandemic, some of you have some really significant things going on in your life, really challenging. And God can seem distant. God can seem quiet. The call to faithfulness. The invitation to faithfulness. I can do that. Maybe there's not a whole lot else that I can do at this point, but I can be faithful. A second quality or characteristic is taking responsibility. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Is <laughs> God sort of pawning off the responsibility on most of what's going on here? Well, again, I think he's testing Moses. Moses could very well say at this point, what do you mean? I'm here under protest. I didn't want this job. <laughs> this wasn't my idea. This was your idea. You're God. I'm not. But he doesn't. You know, part of being a leader is, is being willing to take responsibility, even though you're not the person who did it. Yeah, ultimately, I'm responsible. And a part of being responsible is taking responsibility for t making things right. And so first he does that with God, but then he goes down below. He comes up to Aaron and talk about a person who doesn't take responsibility. Aaron, uh, you know, when, asked, when Moses says to Aaron, what, what were you thinking? How could you do this? And, Moses, and Aaron says, well, you know, I just, you know, I, I just, I just took people's people's um, jewelry so they wouldn't, they wouldn't do something on their own. I threw it in the fire just thinking, okay, we'll just get, it, get rid of it. And what happens is this gold calf pops out of the fire. You wouldn't believe it. Moses says, you're right, I'm not going to believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm embellishing just a little bit. But, but yeah, he, um, Aaron not only doesn't take responsibility, he lies about it. Well, Moses tries to make things right. And I think what happens next is really important and instructive, partly because of what, the confusion around it. So what, what Aaron, or what Moses uh, uh, does next, is he says to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth. And this is after he's called those who are loyal to the Lord to come to him, and those are the Levites. He says, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today. For you were against your own sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. Now this is a tough one. And it's an example of 
many occasions when God's appointed leaders do things, and sometimes we as the reader think, boy, was that the right thing to do? There are several times in David's later reign, but even leading up to his reign, when he does things, is, is, was that the right thing to do? And Moses even said, the Lord, this is what the Lord says. But you know, it doesn't actually tell us when the Lord told him that. And in a few verses, God makes no reference to this. God doesn't say, Moses, well done. He doesn't praise Moses. He doesn't punish Moses. A little later, God says, uh, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. By the way, that book isn't who's going to go to heaven or not. The book is the story, the unfolding story of God's salvation of the world. And yes, basically everyone here except a couple of people, Joshua and, and uh, uh, Caleb, won't enter the promised land. They would still be given a chance after all this, but when they refused, the people had to wander for 40 years. And yes, these were people who here in this story who would, would at some point would be taken out of the book. They wouldn't be a part of the story of entering the promised land, even though God gave them plenty of chances even after this. And this brings up, I think, a really important point about taking responsibility. Part of that distance we, we sense from God, sometimes I compare it to the distance that this earth this world is from the sun it's just the right distance for there to be life and there's just the right amount of distance for us to learn and grow as leaders it's not like god is looking over our shoulder no we're free to make choices we're free to make decisions usually though the decisions we make out of anger are not our wisest decisions it's when we're angry that we feel most full most self-righteous right and maybe we may even feel full of a spirit. But looking back, we're not sure if it was God's spirit or our own inflated spirit. And the thing is, God wants us to make choices. That's a part of being trained to reign. And that's why last week I said, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's a toxic fear of the Lord if we're always afraid of getting it wrong. I've often referred to my boss during my illustrious two-month career as a construction worker who said to me one day, make mistakes. Make mistakes. Of course, he didn't want me to make mistakes, but he was saying, I know you're going to make mistakes. I know that's going to happen. Don't worry about that. Do the best job that you can. And we're going to make mistakes. Taking responsibility means doing the best that we can. Listening to God and more often than not, the Holy Spirit sheds light on the situation rather than telling us exactly what to do. In case you're wondering, I didn't take dictation this week. This sermon wasn't the result of my taking a pen and saying, okay, God, tell me what to say, and I took dictation. And that's not how the Bible was written either. I tried to listen. I worked with the text, brought it to God knelt in this room and well, as well as my study quite often and, and, I, and I made decisions along the way as to what I would say and not say. And so we call this the word of the Lord but my word is in all of this. And that's why I've often said it's really important for you to be discerning. That's your responsibility, right? by the way. No matter how bad my sermon is, to, it's your responsibility to take whatever is said to, to sort of Work with it and hear what God is saying to you. 
That's taking responsibility. And yes, the Holy Spirit is in you as well. And so that's, that's kind of heavy, but that's the way it is. We're being trained to reign. And yeah, when we screw up, we take responsibility for that. That's also a part of taking responsibility. And God's grace surrounds all of that. That's, you know, the story of the Bible, the story of Christianity, you know, so many people claim to hear God, right? And I think they're trying to hear God and make very different decisions and choices along the way. And some of them are really bad looking back. But God somehow works with all of that and through all of that by his grace. So we take responsibility by making choices, making decisions that we think will serve the kingdom of God, consulting with God's spirit, and taking responsibility afterwards. So taking responsibility is a part of, of being a leader. Then, uh, while leadership can be lonely, we're not to do it alone. Leadership is lonely. Most leaders will tell you that. Um, Sometimes you have, you just have to make a decision. Or you offer advice, bring a proposal, and it immediately becomes open to criticism. And it's really easy to criticize. You know, I was just thinking of that quote from uh, Theodore Roosevelt, and I was actually going to grab it before I came up here, but I forgot to do that. He says, it's so easy to be in, it's so easy to be in the stadium in the stands. It's a whole lot more difficult to be on the field. And so that's a part of leadership. But we're not to do it alone. We're not to say, well, I know best. This is what you need to do. Whenever possible, we're to consult. We're to consult with others. And so in our church, we have what's called parity of office. In the Reformed Church in America, the deacon and the elder and the pastor all have equal standing and authority. It's an example of sharing that authority. And I really covet and need their counsel and perspective. And this is also a part of how we train others to reign. We empower them to make decisions. And sometimes they're going to make decisions that you don't feel comfortable with. As God watches us make decisions that we're not comfortable with. But that's a part of learning to reign. And hopefully in the process, we reflect upon what we decided, we see the results, and we make corrections. That's a part of, of, of reigning. It's a part of ruling. It's a part of leadership. And so whenever possible, we want to consult with others. God is a great role model here, right? He's consulting with Moses. This is God modeling that bringing bringing uh, his covenant partner into his thought process. Does God need to do that? Of course not. He didn't need to rest on the seventh day either, but he, he rested on the seventh day, it says, at the beginning of Genesis. He's training us. He's modeling for us what leadership looks like. And then there's leaving our egos at the door. Moses refuses to be sucked into the idea of making a name for himself. He didn't think, uh, so, the people of Moses, that has a nice ring to it. I like that. 
At least the, the story seems to indicate he didn't pause at all. He brought the attention right back to God's name. It's your name that we need to be concerned about. I mean, think of John the Baptist, who when people began to talk about this Jesus guy who was, who's, was baptizing and his disciples were baptizing, he says, he has to increase, I have to decrease. And that's so important for, for our leading together, our partnering together, admitting that we might be wrong, admitting that we don't have all the wisdom. It said that even, even though sometimes Moses got really angry, it says that he was the humblest person on the earth. I think this story is an example of that humility. It takes humility to be able to really listen to people, even, even to go with their mistakes and be a companion with them, to identify with people when they're not at their best. And Jesus is certainly being humble when he's getting into the yoke with me. <laughs> and finally, we're chosen. This isn't a matter of being entertained. And so the people in worshiping this idol uh, thought they should have some entertainment. That was quite common and usual uh, for worshiping the gods, and we can only imagine what kind of entertainment this involved. And I, I think that has a contemporary ring to it. I think in our day and age, worship is often perceived as a form of entertainment. Of course, it, it being something available online can easily uh, encourage that kind of posture. I remember when... Uh, person came to, uh, to try to sell us sound equipment when we were looking for sound equipment. Soon after I came here, he said to the consistory, um, well, see, the, the, the music, that's to entertain people so that you can proclaim the word of God. I just sort of cringed. No, the music isn't to entertain anyone, and it's not to be entertained. But in our culture where we can entertain ourselves to death, and some people will be entertaining themselves until the day that they die, and that'll be their main priority in life. That's very, very different from realizing that you're called, that we're a chosen people. We have been saved. We have been rescued. And we have an amazing future ahead of us. And yes, it's right and good that we enjoy God's good gifts, that we celebrate and be thankful and worship in them every day. But this life isn't about ultimately being entertained. It's about fulfilling our call. Our call to lead. Be trained for leading and reigning. Our call to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And to be available to His Spirit every day for that leading, to fulfill that vocation. And so this isn't, you know, this isn't just a, a weekend sort of event. This isn't, a, you know, following Jesus isn't a weekend adventure. This is a whole life. We are chosen. We are called. And that, there's so much, it's such a privilege to be called by God. And so we have a couple of sacraments that we haven't been able to engage in during this pandemic that are a reminder of this. There's that baptismal font. And while we don't do immersion in this church, that baptismal font is a, is a symbol of the fact that in being baptized, our lives belong to Jesus and his mission. And if they're children, 
this is how we train them. This is our goal, to help them understand what it means to be immersed in the life of God. And then we share in this meal that we call communion, and I look forward to when we can do that again. And it's an amazing meal. It reminds us of how much skin God has in the game. Do this in remembrance of me. Yes, engage in this meal to remember what I've done for you, how invested I am. But now you do this. You follow my example in remembrance of me. And then we take his body and blood into our bodies. We give him our bodies for him to do whatever he wants to do in and through us. This is a whole life. For us to live is Christ. So this isn't about getting some spiritual need met. This isn't about a religious part of ourselves that we want satisfied, even though that's how we may initially come to faith. Something's missing. And that's good. That's fine. But eventually we need to realize, boy, we are called to this amazing life and mission. Jesus is Lord. And may we lay down any idol that has kept us from serving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and cause us to be lukewarm and even cold in our devotion. And so let me just leave you with a couple of questions. What kind of leader are you? And then secondly, what kind of leader would you like to be? A leader of character, one who takes responsibility, one who uh, is willing to be alone and at the same time to do this with others. A leader who leaves their ego at the door and finally realizes they've been called, they're chosen. My priority here isn't to be entertained. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for the privilege attached to our call and for the faith you put in us to be responsible leaders in the world, partners with you. It's really quite amazing. And so we look forward to our training this week. And we want to do as you invite us to do. We want to give you our burdens so that our minds and hearts aren't caught up with all the worries of life. We want to give those to you so that those same circumstances can be opportunities for us to develop who we are as leaders, people of influence, people who serve for the common good. Lord, we lift up Danny to you, the son of Tara's close friend, Claire, who uh, some of us know Claire. And Danny has some blood clots on his lung. His wife is, is due to give birth in a couple of weeks. Would you heal him? Would you take those clots away? And would you also be close to his wife? And as we think about people who have physical struggles, we pray for Alan Tigert, 
has been a really challenging season for him. We pray for his appointment on Tuesday with the oncologist for wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would relieve him and that you would bring healing into his body. We pray for Bill, Jennifer, Gerlinda. We pray for people with mental health issues, especially um, during this pandemic and especially as we go into this winter. We pray for the coming election, that it would be free of violence and that somehow you would use it for the furthering of your kingdom. And Lord, even in spite of this pandemic, we're glad to have some ministries we can still carry out. Ruth's Place, Jacob's Well, the Food Pantry. Would you bless and use these in the lives of people this week? And yes, Lord, we pray that you would bring this pandemic to an end. We pray for hospital personnel as their uh, responsibilities are increasing and the danger to their lives as well. We pray for those locally and throughout our nation and throughout the world. And we pray for our government leaders that they would take responsibility, that they would admit when they've made mistakes and that they would make the necessary cor uh, corrections for the common good. Lord, thank you for hearing us. We know that ultimately it's your kingdom that we need to know and remember and serve. And in that light we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.